the world's greatest long-distance triathletes, male and female, went toe-to-toe on the lava fields of Hawaii earlier this month. But who came out on top? Were any records broken? Yes, lots. Was it exciting and nail-biting action? Another secret? Yes, 110%. That is what this episode is all about. That is the reason you're going to want to stay tuned for episode 28 of Try Me A River. Ladies, gentlemen, friends, triathletes and everyone else in between, welcome. It's been almost as hectic over the past couple of months in my own work life as it has been in the triathlon world and that's why we haven't spent time together since the end of August. But I'm back and I'm delighted to be here with you. Lots of episodes in the pipeline, so keep an eye out for those. And there are a ton of things that I'd love to have dived into with you for this episode, but I'm going to try my level best to keep it focused on one thing only. And that is what took place in Kona in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago on the 6th and the 8th of October 2022. All being well, in the coming months, there will be lots more exciting, exclusive interviews coming your way. There will be race reviews. And we'll also be looking at the final standings after the Super League triathlon season finishes at the end of this month in Neom, of all places, a bizarre and highly controversial city of the future being built in Saudi Arabia at an estimated cost of $500 billion or something. Or at least that's their plan for how it will eventually end up. It's still mostly desert at the moment. Anyway, I'm off on a bit of a tangent. That is where the final Super League event will take place next weekend. Whether or not you agree with that from a moral standpoint. So I'll give you the lowdown on what went on there next time and possibly even discuss why I'm a little uneasy about how cosy the Super League triathlon world seems to be getting with the likes of Saudi Arabia and Bahrain with the dubious human rights records in both those nations. Maybe that's a discussion for another day. Today, thankfully, we're steering clear of politics and keeping our attention on triathlon racing alone. And that happened in incredible fashion just two weeks ago in Hawaii. For long distance triathlon fans, this is the big daddy. The race that the whole calendar builds towards where the very fittest and strongest male and female Ironman athletes race on the Hawaiian island of Kailua Kona to be crowned king and queen of the sport for the next 12 months. I am aware that some of you may not know about the origins of the sport of triathlon, so maybe it's worth quickly rattling through some of that and explaining why Kona is such a focal point for the sport and seen by people the world over as the birthplace of swim, bike, run. So, Let's take a trip back in time. In 1977, on Oahu Island, the northernmost Hawaiian island, US Navy Commander John Collins, no relation to me, was speaking to some others at a sporting awards ceremony on the island. Collins got talking about whether runners, cyclists or swimmers were the fittest athletes. Pretty fun discussion. And he came up with an idea. Why not create a race where we do all three? And he threw this idea out 
of combining the three long-distance events that already existed in Hawaii at that time. And that was the Waikiki Rough Water Swim, which was 2.4 miles, the Around Oahu Bike Race, which was 115 miles and had originally taken place, interestingly, over two days, and finally, the Honolulu Marathon, which, obviously, was 26.2 miles. The only tweak to these pre-existing events that Collins suggested was to shave three miles off the bike leg to bring it down to the 112 miles that we have today in Ironman racing. And the reason that he did that was simply so that the bike leg could start at the finish line for the swim and the bike leg could end at Aloha Tar, which was the start line for the Honolulu Marathon. Collins made a little course booklet to hand out to each participating athlete and in this race description, he included the now famous line, swim 2.4 miles, bike 112 miles, run 26.2 miles, brag for the rest of your life. He didn't take long to get the wheels in motion. By the following February, that is February 1978, a small group of 15 athletes took to the start line, with 12 making it to the end, and Gordon Haller entering the history books as the first ever winner of the Ironman World Championships. The next year, 1979, saw the first female entry, and as such, the first Iron Woman, going by the name of Lynn Lemaire, who finished sixth overall, but more importantly, was the first female winner of the Ironman World Championships. However, things have expanded ever so slightly, from those opening two years, when only 15 people gathered on the start line for each event. Because Ironman is now a global brand, with over 170 Ironman races happening in 55 different countries around the world. From Morocco to Malaysia, and from Portugal to the Philippines, you can find Ironman-branded events, and pay an absolute fortune to enter, if you're asking me for my own thoughts, and... In doing so, take home a piece of the action yourself. And if you so desire, although you will go down in my estimation by quite a stretch, you can then join the masses of middle-aged men with M-dot tattoos representing the logo of the Iron Man brand. Just before wrapping up this short history of Iron Man, I should mention the latest headlines to hit the news from only a couple of years ago, when the former owners of the Iron Man brand, and that was the Wanda Sports Group, sold up and handed over ownership of the Ironman Group to a new parent company called Advance Publications in a deal worth an eye-watering $730 million. But despite the colossal growth of the brand, the Ironman World Championships still take place in Hawaii every year, and it is still seen as the pinnacle for achievement in the sport. One small change since its original race in 1978 is that it moved from Oahu Island to a region called Kailua Kona on Hawaii's Big Island in 1981 and it has remained there ever since. So that's why people talk about racing Kona for that is where the world champs have now been held for over 40 years. Wow, I did not expect to go into full-on historian mode there. Apologies, so well done if you've stuck that out. And hopefully that explains not only some of the mystique around the connection that triathlon has with Hawaii, but also where the sport originated from in the first place. And I always find it fun to remember that we all follow and take part in a pretty young sport, actually. 
As I've been explaining, triathlon was only created in 1978. That's only 44 years ago. We're all doing a sport that hasn't even existed for half a century, which is exciting. And I think that's another reason why new ideas and new formats are still being trialled all the time. We haven't settled into a fixed, this is how the sport must be done kind of pattern that sports like football, rugby, tennis have. And as a result, I think that triathlon can get away with being more flexible and experimental with its distances and orders of disciplines and course profiles. But even still, it is good to have some tradition. I think every sport needs a little. And for triathlon, the main tradition that remains is the annual pilgrimage for long-distance triathletes to Kona to pit themselves against a swim through the wild waves before entering a whole world of pain through the long barren lava fields on the bike and run route. In terms of big names from the race's history over the years, on the men's side, you've got Dave Scott, who won six times in the 1980s, and Mark Allen, who also won six, including five in a row between 1989 and 1993. In more recent years, Craig, Crowey, Alexander and Jan Fredino have won three titles each. On the women's side, South African Paula Newby-Fraser is the GOAT, with a total of eight World Championship titles. Other greats of the sport include Swiss legends, six-time winner Natasha Badman and five-time winner Daniela Reef. And let's not forget our very own Chrissy Wellington, who took women's triathlon to new heights with her four world championship wins between 2007 and 2011. All phenomenal athletes and all very deserving of their place in history. Have I made you want to try and give it a go yourself yet? I'd like to at some point. As I touched on, it's often the extortionate price of the Ironman events around the world that I would need to do to qualify that puts me off a little. But one day I would like to give it a bash before I'm too old and decrepit. So someday. Anyway, that's all a big build up for me to finally get to what happened a couple of weeks ago at the 2022 Ironman World Championships in Kona. Let's start with the men. And we've been talking for so long now about the Norwegians. Even the last episode of this podcast was with Lotta Miller, one of the brightest talents in the women's setup in Norway. But with the men in Kona, we saw once again how Christian Blumenfeldt and Gustav Eden are dragging the sport of triathlon into a new stratosphere with their obsession to be the best and stay the best, their almost mythical training volume and their stranglehold on almost every contest they enter. And you should believe the hype, because they backed it up in Kona, big style. For the past year, they've made no secret of the fact that they'd been channeling all their energy towards Kona, and it really paid off. 26-year-old Gustav Eden produced a race for the ages. He shattered the all-time course record, coming home to take the win in 7 hours, 40 minutes and 24 seconds. And in doing so, he also laid down the fastest ever run seen at Kona, with a marathon time clocking in at just 2 hours and 36 minutes. Gustav is a phenomenal triathlete, someone who's been much hyped for quite a few years now, but has maybe gone a little under the radar in comparison to his Norwegian compatriot, Christian Blumenfeldt. They've both been doing the interview circuits before and after the race in Kona, and that's been really fascinating. And one of the things that I really enjoyed hearing about was their interview with the GTN YouTube channel, where they spoke about their approach to sports science. 
Here is what Gustav had to say on that to the guys from GTN. Yeah, we do a lot of crazy things, but for me, I find it really motivating. And now we have a huge team around us from... Uh, so we started by like, working with many different uh, brands and technologies. So to systemize it a bit, we have created also a new company called Santara Tech that makes this a bit more manageable. And we have this company now that can work a bit more easily together with the like, tech companies. So they can get the benefit of uh, our knowledge and our testing regime. And we can get the benefits that they are helping us produce the technology that we need. So um, we have a lot of uh, fun prototypes uh, waiting for us around the world and always testing new stuff. So it's, uh, that's also an exciting part of being a professional triathlete. And the success that both Gustav and Christian have had in recent years, with Christian's gold medal in Tokyo and Gustav taking the long course scene by storm, this success has come about after a lifetime, genuinely a lifetime, of preparation from these two superhumans. Another interview that Gustav has done recently was for the latest episode of the fantastic Rich Roll podcast. If you haven't listened before, so many great chats on there. But on the new episode featuring both Gustav and Christian, here's what Gustav said about how long and focused his top-level training has been, going right back to his early teens. Well, I see myself as a, as a professional since I was basically 14 years old. I was training better than some pros do today. So I think it's been a lot of volume, high-quality training for many, many, many years that has made us into the athletes we are today. So that's Gustav. But what about Christian Blumenfeld in Kona? Well, he wasn't exactly slouching either. Last year's Olympic champion in Tokyo came home third in Kona with a time of 7.43.23. The Norwegian plan for both of their top athletes executed pretty much to perfection. And the only reason that they didn't get a 1-2 on the podium is because of Sam Laidlow. Sam was born in England but moved to France at the age of two and represents France in triathlon as a result. Despite only being 23 years old at the minute, very young for a long course triathlete, Sam has bags of talent and he had a stormer of a race to come home in second place behind Gustav Eden. And if it wasn't for Gustav's crazily fast run, Sam might even have gone and won it. And this is because Sam destroyed the all-time course bike record with a 112-mile cycle taking him only 4 hours and 4 minutes. That's an average speed of 27.6 miles an hour. Tell you what, why not get your bike out today or tomorrow and try and hold 27.6 miles an hour on your own for 2 miles. If you can do that, give yourself a pat on the back, get off and catch your breath. And then imagine holding that speed for 112 miles in the Hawaii heat frightening. So an absolutely sensational race from the men. And all that without big names like Jan Frodeno and Alistair Brownlee who were both out injured. The long course scene is in seriously good health. It would be amazing to see Gustav and Christian have a showdown with a fit and healthy Jan Frodeno before the big German retires. But we may not get to see that as we all expect the two Norwegians to now switch their focus from this moment on towards the Paris Olympics in summer 2024. But even if we might not see them back at Kona for a couple of years, they have given us some unbelievable memories from this time around, as did Sam Laidlow. What a podium. 
One very last thing to say about Gustav as well is to mention his lucky cap. Gustav found this black baseball cap with yellow Taiwanese writing on it, I think, lying on the floor at the Tokyo test event that he raced back in 2019. He wore it later that year for the first time at Ironman Nice, which he won. And he has won every race that he's worn it at since. Kona was his 10th win from 10 races wearing the lucky black cap. I've personally got a lucky cap as well, I have to confess, so I get where Gustav's coming from. To be honest, it hasn't helped me win any Ironman World Championships yet, but my white Borussia Dortmund cap has been with me for over 20 years, and it is still my go-to on a sunny race day. Tell me, do you have any lucky clothes or caps or bracelets that you wear on a race day? If so, let me know. If it's good enough for Gustav, maybe it should be something we all consider. However, it was not just the men bringing the entertainment out in the lava fields. The women's race had some incredible stories too. In the end, it was Chelsea Sodaro who took the win in a sensational time of 8 hours, 33 minutes and 46 seconds, giving her a winning margin of almost 8 minutes over Britain's Lucy Charles Barkley in second, with Annie Haug from Germany crossing the line 45 seconds later in third. Chelsea Sodaro was competing in only her second ever iron distance race, and in winning at Kona, she became the first female American Ironman world champion in over 25 years. And not only that, she gave birth to her daughter Skye only 18 months ago, but was back into training when her daughter was six weeks old. Now, I can't speak from experience of having a child myself, but I can imagine physically it must be difficult to get your body back to elite sporting level afterwards. Not to mention the sleepless nights at home, the late night feeds, the nappy changes, the crying, the sickness... The list goes on, I'm sure. But still, Chelsea has kept to her plan and carried it out pretty much to perfection this year in Hawaii. And after winning, Chelsea said in a post-race interview, This is the culmination of things being right in my life and having perspective. This is incredible. But the greatest gift at the end of the finish line is my little 18-month-old. This is a life highlight that I'll never forget. I'm pretty stoked that I think I maybe get to take the rest of the year off and be a mum for a month or so. Huge respect. Here's a little chunk from one of the post-race interviews Chelsea did after her win. My daughter is a year and a half and she is at the stage where she says no to everything. She says no, 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 no. She thinks it's really funny. And this week my dad has been trying to teach her how to say yes. So they'll be like dancing in the living room together and he'll be saying, yes, 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 yes. And when I was running during that last hour of the race, I kept on saying, yes, 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 yes. Just like giving myself that positive reinforcement, like, yes, you are where you're supposed to be. Yes, you can do this. Yes, you need to stay right here. And I think um, it was really that like presence of mind that allowed me to have my best personal day. As I mentioned, Lucy Charles Barkley, well known as the fastest swimmer in the sport, came second overall. And she knows how that feels, as this is now her fourth second place finish in Kona. And her wait for the top spot on the podium rumbles on for another year. 
But she was far from disappointed. Very much the opposite, actually. After recovering from a stress fracture to her left hip earlier this year. In her own words, Lucy said after the race that earlier on in the year, I didn't think I'd even be here. So to get second is absolutely incredible. Today definitely exceeded my expectations. It just shows you should work hard and if things aren't going to plan, then just have patience, believe in yourself and you can get better. I think this one means a lot more than the other second places I've had. It definitely feels like a win and it's probably the strongest I've felt over this distance. So I'm super happy with the result. Fair play, Lucy. And before we leave chatting about the races in Kona, it's worth having a quick honourable mention for the other homegrown British athletes who made the top 10s. In the men's race, Joe Skipper finished fifth, which was his highest ever Kona finish. And in the women's race, Fenella Langridge came over the line in sixth. And the fantastic 42-year-old Laura Siddle was 10th, proving age is only a number. All outstanding performances. And I bet if you hadn't thought of taking part in Ironman Kona at some point in your life, you're now starting to reconsider that. Definitely inspiring stuff. That's almost time for us to call it quits for this episode. But just before I go, I want to give a shout out to a friend of this podcast, George Peasgood. For those of you who missed his interview with me back in episode 13, please head back tonight and give that a listen. George is a British paratriathlon legend and two-time Paralympic medalist. After winning silver medal at the Tokyo Paralympics in the PTS5 category, as well as picking up a bronze medal in the men's C4 time trial in road cycling. Here's a little snippet from our chat back in January 2021 about George's philosophy towards being an elite athlete and what's most important to him when it comes to sport. I just do what I love. Like it's, yeah. it's pretty. I do just love sport and I love triathlon, so I'm just doing it because I enjoy it. And yeah. like, ultimately, if even if it's not sport, or even not even anyone that's had got an impairment, as long as like you're doing what you enjoy, then it's that's all that matters. Especially with life and mental health and everything. Especially like at the moment, as long as you're enjoying everything, then that's all you could ever want. Hero, I'm such a big George fan. Anyway, the reason I bring him up is because sadly George has had quite a severe bike accident a couple of weeks ago and has been left with a significant brain injury. His girlfriend and fellow cyclist Frankie Hall posted an update on Instagram a few days after the accident saying, as many people already know, last Saturday on our ride George suffered a freak accident on the bike, no other parties involved. He has suffered severe injuries, specifically a diffuse axonal injury and is currently undergoing treatment in a neurocritical care unit. Since the accident, and for the foreseeable future, I shall be based around the hospital and the rest of George's family to help with the long recovery journey. We do not have any further information at this stage. We will know more once he regains consciousness. But we appreciate your respect and privacy at this time. To all our friends, please know your support means the world to me and will do to him too. He is a fighter. I've never known anyone as strong as George, and I know when it's ready, he will pull through. I just want to say that we are all thinking of our good friend George and very much hoping he recovers well and is in the hands of specialists who can give him all the care and attention he needs. What a guy. Any updates in the future, I will keep you posted. But our thoughts are very much with George and Frankie at the moment. That's a wrap for today. If you want to get in touch, please, please do. 
It's been great getting messages from some new friends since our last episode with Lotta Miller. And if you want to find me online, you can follow me on Instagram at trymeariver underscore pod or on Twitter at trymeariver. Or you can drop me a good old-fashioned email at trymeariver at gmail.com. It is so good to have you tune in today. Always a pleasure, never a chore. And I look forward to chatting with you all again very, very soon. Bye-bye.